This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Well, we had the chance to learn about each other through adversity. We don't necessarily, we didn't necessarily want that like that, but as we look back on it, I'm most proud of the fact that everybody kept going. And we actually, with all the uh, adversity that we had in a transition year, it could have been a real catastrophe. We played our best ball in the last month. Oh, it's like a whole new world. <laughs> um, having a full year under the under our belts now with this new staff, it's it's been a it's been a crazy ride so far. But uh, it's it's been a good one, and you know we've le- learned a lot, gone through a lot with this coaching staff and the guys I've bought in so much. We had probably the best uh, winter since since I've been here, so it was it was huge for us this winter coming off that win against UCLA. Had a lot of momentum, and these guys they're ready for spring ball. Last spring, I didn't hardly know anyone. I mean, I threw Coach Bray a ball after a route because I thought he was a manager. Like, I had no idea. I thought he was going to kill me. I felt terrible, but, you know, we probably, like, last spring, I kind of felt we took a few steps back before we got going, and now I think we're just going to keep moving forward, and it should be good for us. And that means spring football is in the air here. Welcome to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Dan Hoppin, and Nate Klaus as we officially get ready to kick off spring practice. Nebraska uh, begins spring ball on Saturday, and uh, we will have complete coverage uh, as Nebraska gets ready to open up uh, this spring here with Coach Riley. But uh, lots to talk about as uh, we, we kind of start this kickoff show. Spring football will be a little bit different schedule this year. Uh, they are going to extend it over a six-week period with one of those weeks being spring break. They're only going to go Tuesday, Thursdays, and Saturdays. Um, it will allow them to lift and have more meeting times during the week. So uh, it should be interesting. But, you know, Robin, when, when you look at yesterday, uh, what was your big takeaway uh, of the day? Just kind of uh, hearing the players, hearing the coaches talk as we get ready for this spring. Yeah, you could get a feel for it just listening to the open there. Uh, as the players talking about just the comfort they have, you know, not only – with his coaching staff, but with their respective systems and uh, assignments uh, on the team. And I think that has gone a long way into just establishing a much better um, environment around the program. I mean, a year ago, uh, like Brandon Riley said, the the coaches and the players hardly even knew each other. And, you know, they were mistaking Trent Bray for team managers. So that was gold right there. It was awesome. Uh, But so that kind of perfectly uh, shows just how far this team has come. And I mean, that's going to go a long way in just getting some of those, you know, initial wrinkles out, I think that we saw early on in the season. And, uh, you know, there's a reason Mike Riley said it wasn't until the last month of the season that they were playing their best football. And uh, I think that that is going to carry over and to allow them to to hit the offseason running. And as Jordan Westerkamp said, they've already had one of their best winters that he's had here. And Dan Hoppen, what were your thoughts yesterday? I thought one of the biggest things to come out of this, uh, Mike Riley was asked a couple questions about how Nebraska was going to balance its offense, whether they were going to, you know, go so run heavy this year like they did in the UCLA game. And and he kind of backed off that a little bit. He was like, you know, let's let's pump the brakes a little bit. That was a very Sixty-two rushing attempts. Yeah, that was a very like game-specific, opponent-specific game plan. I want to say, he said, "We're not necessarily going to run the ball more. We just need to run it more efficiently." I do think Nebraska will run it more than they did last year, but people who are expecting sixty-five percent runs, I don't think. Well, we're th- that see was that. the misconception about last year. I mean, Nebraska tried to run the ball against they did. Wisconsin, yeah. Northwestern, Iowa. Uh, they couldn't do it, uh-uh. and they were in third and ten, third and twelve, in a lot of those games because they failed to run the ball. So I think 
that's what people tend to forget. Mike Riley said, we're not going to run. They tried to run the ball. Mm-hmm. They know they had to run the ball. Uh, UCLA game was a unique circumstance with just – um, you know, the, the way that opponent was and how they matched up. As uh, you're listening here to the Husker Online Show, as we're kicking off spring ball Saturday, Nebraska takes the field 11 a.m. And, Dan, do you have another thought there? Well, I was just going to say, you know, you're talking about how Nebraska struggled to run the ball in some games. Nebraska's offensive line next year might not have a single guy back playing the same position that he played a year ago. They're only going to return two starters, and Nick Gates is going to move to the left side. Dylan Utter might be the center, and they're going to have three other new starters on the line. So I think that there's a talent there, and the line could be better. But to just automatically say that you know they're going to be able to run the ball more, I don't know. Yeah, Nate, we bring in Nate Klaus. Uh, you talk about that offensive line. It's hard to kind of get a feel for what direction they want to go. I mean, Dylan Utter looks like they want him at center. He has shorter arms. Uh, supposedly that was a big problem last year. Uh, his body size at guard didn't match up. Uh, so he'll be at center, and apparently Paul Thurston has a class, um, and they could say whatever they want. That's going to hurt him in, in the long run. Um, the door seems open for Tanner Farmer uh, t- to move into a guard spot. It looks like him and Corey Whitaker uh, would be the the guys competing for that other guard spot opposite of Gerald Foster. Yeah, the offensive line is is probably the most intriguing um, you know position group out of out of the entire roster. I think heading into the spring, and you have a lot of talent there, but it's all for the most part unproven. Um, you know, and the 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 move from uh, right tackle to left tackle of Nick Gates is interesting. Paul Thurston is probably you know is the forgotten man. Um, he has some experience at that center position, but I think you're right. There's that this conflict with the clip with the class is definitely going to hurt him. Um, I don't know how you can spin it any other way, but uh, that's going to hurt. Uh, it's going to force some other guys to step up. So, um, you know, I, Mike Cavanaugh, I think, has has done a good job of trying to to get these guys uh, to buy in, you know, change the way that they play, and, and you know, and, and kind of uh, refine some technique. But uh, these young guys are really going to have to step up and, and show that this spring. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we're getting ready to kick off spring practice on Saturday. Uh, the other storyline was with Tommy Armstrong, and um, it was kind of a, a segue of what happened after the Iowa game. Tommy met with the team after the Iowa game, apologized and said he was going to be fully focused and ready to go for the bowl game. That carried out. Uh, he got back with the team again uh, when they came back uh, for winter conditioning and, and and basically said the same thing. And he's trying to take all the steps to do the right things, be the kind of quarterback he needs to be. Um, and it's easier said than done, Robin. We, we know that. as Tommy has said a lot of right things over his career, uh, but he's yet to do it consistently over 12 games. Yeah, that was the same comments he was making last year, and far too many times we saw him you know, not live up uh, to those statements. And so that was, again, the message. Uh, you know, He put himself as the first guy that needs to improve on this offense, and if nothing else, I mean, that was another step uh, in his growth as a leader. And you know, both Jordan Westerkamp and Brandon Riley were at that meeting, and they said that, that they gained even more respect for him just uh, as a senior leader of this team because you know he not only was he putting the, the offense uh kind of to the task saying we can be great but we're only gonna be as great as we allow ourselves to be but he put himself first in line as you know a guy that has to get better for that to happen and so uh, you know it like you said uh the words are great and all that if he's able to live up to that that should take this offense to the next level and i think part of tommy being better is how nebraska uses him you go back you know i don't want to make too much out of the one bowl game but when you look at how he was used in that game only through 19 times 
Uh, I thought he was used pretty effectively in the running game with what Nebraska called. It seemed like he, when he did throw, he was asked to make some pretty simple reads and just get the ball out. That's what he can be really good at. I think if you give him too much time in the pocket and let him throw too much, that's when you kind of get some of the crazy Tommy plays. And if he can eliminate those, he's not a bad player. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, and the, the other quarterback storyline is Patrick O'Brien. And, Nate, you have seen Patrick O'Brien play in person as much as anybody between the satellite camp and going to one of his games last season. What are your expectations, Nate, as our recruiting guy here, uh, what he could really get done here in this first spring? Well, I think he just needs to acclimate into the system, into the college game in general. Uh, by all accounts, you know, he's he's done a good job so far. But, um, I mean, it's a huge step to go from uh, playing high school football uh, to being, you know, thrust in the, the competition for a starting job or for a backup job. And uh, so I, I think it's it's important not to put too many expectations on, on uh, Patrick O'Brien, but uh, he has an opportunity uh, to, to grab, you know, a spot uh, as a backup or even push Tommy Armstrong. He has the tools to do it. It's, it'll be interesting to see if, if he can take that mental step, I think, and soak up everything and, and get as many reps as he can uh, to, to take that jump. Guys, am I crazy saying this, though? If Tommy didn't have a good bowl game, like the narrative of this quarterback race would be way different today. But that bowl game to me kind of calmed the waters uh, because if, if after the Iowa game, I think everyone's like, well, maybe O'Brien will get mm-hmm. a real shake. But I think obviously that's different now after what happened against UCLA. Well, Absolutely. Yeah, when you win a bowl game MVP, I mean, that really does a lot for the confidence in you. But uh, as Dan pointed out, uh, that I think a lot of that has to do with how they used him. And it shows how important a consistent running game is to Tommy Armstrong's success. And uh, to Mike Riley's credit, he made that perfectly clear. He said, if we throw the ball 40 to 45 times a game, we're not going to win. And uh, just while we're on the topic of quarterbacks, no, A.J. Bush has not changed positions yet. We can probably stop talking about that. He just scored a 9 out of 10 on the most recent quarterback test administered by Danny Langsdorf. Tommy Armstrong, a 6 out of 10. And it's hard to know the context of those questions and, and what the test is all about. But we have a full show on tap. We're going to talk next segment more about Billy Devaney, the intriguing hire Nebraska made. We met him for the first time yesterday along with John Perella, uh, Nebraska's new defensive line coach. Then we'll do some uh, spring position battle talk. Uh, Robin Washett will give a take here on Nebraska basketball as they get ready to close the regular season and kind of where they sit going into Big Ten tournament play. And then we'll close things off with Nate Klaus uh, talking a little recruiting. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. It's kind of like a Swiss Army knife. I'm going to be involved in uh, a bunch of different areas, the personnel side, the evaluation side, helping any kind of coaching off the field uh, projects that Mike has. That's that's fun. I mean, there's a there's a newness to that. Uh, it's not like every day you're going to be walking in, you're going to be doing the same thing. There's going to be. I mean, I started Monday. I, I think today's Wednesday, right? I thought it was a great opportunity. It sounded like it, and just a few days I've been here, uh, I'm absolutely convinced it's a it, it, it is a great opportunity. And welcome back here to the Husker Line Show. That was Nebraska's latest hire uh, slash general manager, director of everything, Mike or Bill. I say Mike Devaney, Billy Devaney, uh, Mike Devaney's Bob Devaney's son. And by the way, Billy Devaney, no relation to former Nebraska coach Bob Devaney. As uh, we we move we move our talk here. 
uh, on the Husker Online show with Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Dan Hoppin, and Nate Klaus over to those new hires. And um, it was the first time we got to talk to both John Perella and Billy Devaney. But I, I want to start with Billy Devaney just because I think he is the most intriguing. I mean, just the way he took the podium. I mean, you're like, okay, this is not just some stiff that's nervous as hell to be up there talking. I mean, he's given hundreds of press conference talks before he walks in the room and just starts getting up there into a statement. And I'm like, all right, this is until Robin reminded me of like Mike Mayock of the NFL network or something getting up there. And um, I, I'm just, I'm going to be so intrigued to watch Robin, what he does um, at Nebraska and kind of how they start this thing off. It was a really unique just move in general. I mean, bringing in a, a first year position like that and then, getting a guy with that much NFL pedigree to him. I mean, it, I'm, it's a fascinating move and really a, a real step of, of progress for Nebraska football and shows just how far they're willing to go to keep up with the times with the way college football is moving. So a uh, tip of the hat to uh, not only Mike Riley, but Sean Eichhorst and uh, the athletic department for, you know, thinking ahead on something like this. But uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, he, he not only came up and started reeling off a statement, but he said all the right things. He said, I, this is a wonderful opportunity. I've loved Nebraska since the first day I set foot here. I almost got a speeding ticket. I was so excited driving here from Atlanta. And, you know, so he, he got the, uh, the red army all fired up for sure. Well, I mean, he, this guy has been an NFL general manager. He's been around microphones before. That's mm-hmm. not going to make him nervous. It sounds like for the most part, he's going to be doing a lot of evaluating players both on Nebraska's current roster and in recruiting but Mike Riley just kind of brought up some interesting stuff he's just gonna have you know like some random assignments basically he's a football brain who's been in the industry for 30 years and Mike Riley just wants his ideas on things like Mike Riley said he didn't like how Nebraska played in 11 a.m. kickoff games last year so he's gonna talk to Billy Devaney about that what can they do during the week to prepare better for that what can they do the morning of the game to get ready. I, I think that's the interesting part of it. Just kind of those random little side missions that, you know, Billy Devaney can just bring his experience and his knowledge. Yeah, to. Nate, and I, we know he's going to be involved in recruiting, but I envision him addressing the team at times and, and, and doing a lot of those kind of upfront talks and, and kind of being uh, a big voice. I mean, I, I, a guy like that's not going to just be in a cubicle and be quiet. No, he's not going to be sitting behind a desk and isolated from from anybody. He's going to be extremely involved. Um, you know, and, and Mike Riley said that he's going to be kind of an overall advisor uh, to the coaching staff, to the football team, and uh, he's got a wealth of experience, and, and he's going to be, you know, implementing that experience in recruiting and with the team, uh, with the way that they manage their roster and overall operations. I, I think, you know, he's he's a guy who's highly organized, has run the front office of you know, NFL program before, has run scouting departments, and so uh, he's going to come in and, and uh, you know, really put his – uh, fingerprints on, on this program. I think it overall, I mean, extremely innovative hire, uh, not only, you know, for the position, but to bring in a guy like Billy Devaney, um, I mean, pretty much groundbreaking. There's not another program in the entire country that has a guy like him in this position. Nate, let me piggyback a question off that to you. I asked Billy uh, on um, Wednesday, just, you know, the challenges of evaluating 16, 17 year olds and projecting them, because I do think when you watch a good high school players film, they're going to look sometimes at just so dominating and, and you don't sometimes know, you know, what their level is, how you can project them. I, I just think it's different when you're looking at a division one film versus a sophomore high school, junior in high school film. And from your perspective, I mean, how hard will that transition be for him to, to go from evaluating a much lower level of film? 
Well, yeah, ta- I mean, uh, talent is talent, and, and he's a guy who's who's obviously evaluated thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of players throughout his career. Uh, so he's got an eye for talent, but it is that the projecting, um, the growth, and projecting not just physically, but I think mentally and maturity-wise uh, with these young guys is is going to be the challenge. Because when you're watching a senior offensive lineman in college, you know he's not he's done growing. He's not going to be you know you know getting any tall or adding, you know, 40 or 50 pounds of weight or, change, you know, completely changing his body once he gets to the NFL. But that's not so much the case with high school kids. You know, a lot of times these guys aren't done growing and, and um, you know, you have to kind of project their frame and how much weight they can carry. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see that type of uh, dynamic play out. I think just as interesting, too, is going to be his impact on current player evaluations. I mean, that's one very experienced, uh, more set of eyes that you're going to have uh, on your current team. And, you know, we're, as these position battles that we're going to talk about here in, in the next But segment, could he override a position coach? I'm just saying that's input. That's input. Like, that's what I want to know. Like, if he goes, guys, why aren't you playing Tanner Farmer? Yeah. Or, you know, why is he not playing instead of this guy or that guy? Like, will that impact Mike Cavanaugh or... Well, it could impact Mike Riley. Or Mike, or Mike Riley, yeah. So, um, I'm just saying, it's another uh, guy that's seen a whole lot of football and evaluated a whole lot of players that uh, I think you're going to listen when he says something. If, if, you know, he has an opinion on a certain uh, position or, or whatever it may be, uh, that, that's a guy that could help decide, you know, who plays over who. Billy Devaney will bring a completely different perspective, mm-hmm. I, I think, to to uh, you know the the overall roster and, and to these meetings. I, I kind of envision him sitting in on these meetings and Mike Riley. You know, after everyone talks, you know, asking Billy Devaney, "Hey, what do you think?" or you yeah. know, "What's your take on this?" and and he'll put his input in there. And um, and I think that's good to have different perspective because sometimes you can get a little tunnel vision. And you know, when you're only working with a you know one set of guys every day um and then you bring in a guy like billy devaney who's seen and done you know everything out there Mm -hmm. Uh, i think it's nice to have that different perspective and one last point on him here i think this is a boost in recruiting too because now nebraska's coaches can go and they say look at this guy we have in our program he spent 30 years evaluating talent in the nfl if you want to go to the nfl what better resource to have than to have this guy in your corner? He can tell you what you need to do, what the pro scouts and talent evaluators are looking for, so he can tell you what you need to do to get to that next level. I just imagine that future pro days at Nebraska, he's just going to be holding court. Oh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> There's just, just going to be a group of scouts around him at all times. But, Nate, one other thing I wanted to ask you as we're wrapping up the Billy Devaney talk here on the Husker Online Show, just think about the money that Nebraska is now putting into – Non-football coaches, Billy Devaney, three hundred thousand. Uh, Dave Van Deride, DVD, he makes close to two hundred thousand. Um, you've got Kenny Wilhite now at a hundred thousand. Ryan Gunderson, Andy Vaughn at one hundred and ten each. Uh, Hillary O'Brien makes in the seventies. I mean, Nebraska, and then you've got a number of kind of entry level forty, thirty-five thousand dollar guys around them. Uh, from you've been in that department, you understand the amount of money. And, you know, I, I ran into one of your old colleagues, Megan Rogers, and we were talking about that this past week. She used to work up in the Polini office and just the amount of money that they're putting into that side compared to before it's, it's almost 400% more money. 
Absolutely. I mean, it's an investment and it's something that you have to do you know, this day and age of college football. Otherwise, you're going to get left left behind in the dust. I mean, everybody is kind of, um, you know, bolstering their, their player personnel departments and investing more money in this. It's in kind this of an area. arms race. It is an arms race. And, and I think it's good to see Nebraska kind of come to the table because that's been one knock for however long, I mean, as long as I can remember. Because we have the money. They have yeah, the money. There's I mean, money there. They no, bury it in the ground. You know, you don't bury the money <laughs> in the ground and just save it for – I mean, the money is there. I mean, why, why does Alabama – Alabama have so much more money. They don't have. I mean, they have. It can't be just night and day more money than Nebraska. Nebraska has the money, and and the bottom line is that it's good to see them use it and invest in in the bloodline of your program, which is recruiting. Yeah, it's just a conservative natured state in general, and and people in this state don't just throw money around to throw money around. So I think it's a change of thinking, but an important change. And uh, I'll be. This is going to be one that I'll be watching as close as any hire. Uh, that's been made the last few years. So when we come back, we're going to shift the talk over to position battles. And Dan Hoppen uh, previewed um, the the t- top position battles to watch on both offense and defense this week. We'll give our take on some of that as Nebraska gets ready to open spring practice. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Probably because of Nick's experience and his ability, and with what we do, we're going to move him to the left tackle, and then uh, Neville will actually line up as the right tackle on the first day. Welcome back here to the Husker Online Show as we're talking position battles now in spring practice as the Huskers get ready to open up on Saturday and. You heard Mike Riley there talking about just what they're doing on the offensive line. No surprise, Nick Gates will move over to left tackle. I mean, I think that's the money position in this type of offense, and he is your best lineman on the team. So uh, Nick Gates will go from right to left, replacing Alex Lewis, who is an NFL Combine participant. Um, The big question, though, remains right tackle. David Neville will be the number one guy to start, and really it's a mystery on competition behind him. Uh, Christian Gaylord was not even mentioned um, that doesn't mean he's not going to be a guy, but not mentioned by Mike Riley. He actually was. Yeah, he, he was. he's at left tackle. Left tackle. Yeah. Then Sam Hahn, right? Uh, he actually said Dwayne Johnson and Christian Gaylord are behind Nick Gates. Um, and then at Sam left and Sam Hahn would be behind uh, Neville. At right. Neville. Yes. Okay. So that I mean that's re- it's kind of scary when you look at that right tackle Dan um, in that position and. Uh, thinking that there's a lot on the line with David Neville. Yeah, and Mike Riley was very excited about him yesterday. He called him an outstanding prospect and uh, said he has great athletic ability and size, and that's clear. I mean, there aren't a lot of guys on this team that I have to look up to. I have to look up to David Neville. He <laughs> he is a giant. He's listed at 6'9 now. And I believe wow. it. He's huge. And I do. I think he has the tools, but we haven't seen it yet. You know, he's been on campus for three years, and he's barely played outside of special teams duties. And you know, you you wonder if a guy like that has the demeanor. I mean, you kind of you got to have that nasty to play on the offensive line. I'm not saying that David Neville doesn't have that, but you can just see it in the way that certain guys carry themselves, even when they're just walking off the field or something. And that's. Not the vibe that I get from him. Maybe I'm totally off base with that. But Nate, do you get the sense they really want Neville to be that guy? Uh, because I think if he doesn't win the job and you go – I mean, not saying Sam Hahn's a disappointment, but I would think athletically it's going to be a big step down if you have to start a guy like Sam Hahn. And upside-wise, Neville gives you your best options. Well, yeah, I get the sense that they, they need – they want and need David Neville to, to step up and, and take a hold of that right tackle spot because – you know, 
beyond him, you really don't have anybody. Certainly nobody. That, Matt Farniak. Yeah, yeah, may, possibly Matt Farniak. You know, he's a guy that may not have the luxury of taking a redshirt just you know due to the lack of depth there. But I mean, beyond David Neville, you don't have anybody uh, in Sam Hom or or uh, Cole Conrad that that have any type of experience whatsoever. So uh, they have to have him step up and take a hold of this position and, and really have the light come on because, like Mike Riley said, he's got. Uh, he's a tremendous prospect, but I just don't think that he's, you know, the light has necessarily come on for him yet. You're listening here to the Husker Online Shows. We're talking offensive line. Robin, let's go on the interior. Um, Dylan Utter moves to center, and I kind of thought that was always going to happen. Mm-hmm. I just think that that gives you your best guys on the field. DJ Foster, I think we can all agree, is going to be a starter at the other guard spot. Mm-hmm. It's what they do with Paul Thurston and then the other guard with Tanner Farmer, uh is Jalen Barnett's a guard, and then obviously um, there's one guy I'm missing in there. Corey Whitaker. Corey Whitaker. It's kind of a wild card. He played in a game last mm-hmm. year, got in a few – the Michigan State game, I think he went in for a play or two. But uh, that other guard spot, we just don't know what direction they go. I think if you're a fan on Rivals on Husker Online, Red Sea Scrolls, you want Tanner Farmer. I mean, if Tanner Farmer, to me, doesn't win that job, I think – uh, the, the vocal fan on message boards are, are going to be disappointed because he came in as an Under Armour All-American, and this is a big spring for him. I'm really interested to see what Tamer, Tanner Farmer comes in looking like as a player. I mean, because obviously he was wrestling uh, this past wrestling season, and Tommy Armstrong, or yeah, one of the players, said that uh, Farmer's lost a lot of weight. And, you know, maybe that's just kind of leaning down and, you know, shedding some bad weight. But, um, you know, that's going to be interesting to see just what physically he looks like and how that wrestling is going to impact him as a football player. Yeah, he was up at one point, I believe, to 320. And as a wrestler, he had to get down to 285. So he's really kind of leaned up. and and, I think that's probably good for him. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And I think it hurt him. And he got a little bit of trouble off the field his first year. Um, And for whatever reason, him and Cav – um, they were kind of like oil and water year one. Hopefully that relationship um, gets better here. And because and, everybody that's followed recruiting knows the ability this guy has. Um, but he's kind of the wild card on this line that they need to kind of have a big spring. Otherwise, maybe Paul Thurston does move back into center and Utter has to play guard. Mm-hmm. And there's always a possibility, you know, you mentioned Corey Whitaker. He could fill in there, too. Yeah, I, I don't look at, like, a Jalen Barnett, though, ready, or one of those young. I think it's very difficult for a guy that young to come in and start. Well, and his body type just didn't seem ready last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was clear, you know, from day one that he was going to redshirt just because you look at the, the builds of the other linemen in that group, and then him, you know, he had a long way to go just with the strength and conditioning. So he's another guy. I'm curious to see the gains he's made. Uh, especially with the full season and then a uh, winter conditioning. Program. All right, let's let's talk running back now as we're looking at position battles. Uh, really, Divino Zigbo um, and then Terrell Newby are, are are the lead horses, but Mike Riley continues to throw out uh, Mikel Wilbon, and I, I think uh, we know you know he got the ball three or four times against BYU, and by God, everybody in the state wanted to see him get the ball more, and he never got the ball more. So that was a mystery. And if he has a strong spring, I think everyone's going to be scratching their heads like, why again was this guy not playing? Uh, can he get on the field this year, Dan? Well, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Riley was very complimentary of him yesterday, or Wednesday, excuse me. Just, you know, had nothing but good things to say about him. And it was kind of like, well, if he does all these good things, why couldn't he get in the last 11 games? He didn't play at all. Um, so, that, yeah, that's, that, that's going to be really fascinating because I think that 
Mikael Wilbon's skill set fits in kind of nicely with some things that Nebraska wants to do offensively, especially in that screen game that Danny Langsdorf loves. Well, and the other thing about when you have an inexperienced offensive line, you need somebody that can make a guy miss mm-hmm. to eliminate or cover up a mistake. And Newbie doesn't do that. Nope. Newbie doesn't do that. Ozigbo is not that kind of back. Like Abdullah, a couple years ago, Nate, he could do that. And we saw Wilbon in the spring, fall camp. I mean, he still, to me, had as good of a camp as any running back. And that's why we saw him week one against BYU. But then we never saw him again. Yeah, I mean, he's got the ability to maybe uh, hide some of the deficiencies that may be up front there for Nebraska, just with his ability to make guys miss and, and all the different ways that he can impact the game, you know, running game or screen game. So, um, you know, obviously he's got the talent, and, you know, maybe it was an off-the-field deal, uh, you know, that uh, maybe didn't allow him to see the field last year. So maybe he's put it all together and is ready to, to take that next step. Uh, but you certainly need one of those guys to step up to give you one more option back there. Okay, let's talk some defense here. Defensive line, you know, they they lose Collins, they lose Valentine. Uh, I think we know who the players are going to be right now. Greg McMullen, um, you know, uh, Kevin Maurice, Kevin Williams in the middle. Uh, Stoltenberg. The, Stoltenberg, the Davis twins. Then on the edge, Freedom Akamaladun and Ross Azuras particularly. I think it's just a matter of what combination it's going to be and what they ultimately do with Greg McMullen. I get the sense he'll be on the inside mm-hmm. uh, unless they really, really have to use him on the outside. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think you're right, Sean. I think that that probably fits his skill set um, a little bit better. He's 300 pounds now on the yeah. U.S. roster. He's not a pass rusher. I think we've seen that over the last three years. I think, you know, you mentioned the Davis Twins. This is a huge opportunity for them. Uh, with Kevin Williams, he's out for the spring. Mick Stoltenberg is out for the spring. So they're going to get a lot of playing time with the first and second units behind uh, Greg McMullen and Kevin Maurice. So this is an opportunity for them. Yeah, and I think the scariest thing, though, is the depth at defensive end. I mean, when uh, as, as much credit as you give Ross deserves for how he played. I mean, when he's like your front line guy and you're questioning who's going to back him up after that. That's not what you want to do. That's a problem. (laughs) And it's, it's going to come down to weather guys like Cedric King. And I'm not counting on Cedric King. I I think we would have seen it by now. I know. Mm -hmm. And so is he going to be another one of those just no man's land scholarship guys that comes here and never plays it down? AJ Natter is in that same, you know, the the Donovan Vestal. Yeah. To me, you see at least a flash Somewhere stop. early in their career that this guy is going to be a guy. Mick Stoltenberg, you saw a couple little flashes. Mm-hmm. You knew. We haven't seen that with him, A.J. Natter, Peyton Newell at this point, where you're like, all right, they're on to something here. And, and, and until he shows me that, I'm not going to ever put him in yeah. the conversation and, yet. And so maybe does Deshaun Neal get an opportunity? I mean, he missed all last season, didn't practice. Well, Alex Davis, too. And Alex Davis, of course. But, uh, I mean, there's going to be opportunities for young guys to really make a push and maybe jump some of these juniors and seniors that – uh, are ahead of them class-wise that uh, you know I haven't earned it yet. Before we wrap it up here, Nate, what's your who's your wild card guy on that defensive line at the end spot? Do you do you have a wild card guy that you could see emerging? Well, I, I think that uh, you have to keep maybe the Davis twins in the conversation too because they were guys who were had, were talked about last fall as you know potentially being somebody who could help on the outside there, help as pass rushers. So uh, maybe this is an opportunity for them to show their versatility. You know, they're young guys. Uh, you know, John Perella is not really going to have 
have to break these guys, break a, a ton of bad habits with these guys and maybe can mold them. Uh, so they've got an opportunity to step up. But I think Alex Davis in the ideal world uh, is the, the guy who would really emerge and, and kind of bring a pass, pass rushing element to, to that line. Well, guys, I'm going to be looking forward to this. Uh, spring football has been extended this year. So when you count the wrap up, we're going to have seven straight weeks of hardcore spring football talk only in Nebraska, baby. That's right. Can you extend spring football talk for seven weeks? And I'm looking forward to every minute of it. Uh, but we got to give Robin Washett his basketball time. My God, he'll get upset at me if we don't let him talk a little basketball on the show. Yeah, even if there's not a whole lot of fun stuff to talk about, we got to get it in. All right, we'll, we'll shift over. We'll talk Nebraska basketball, potential seeding, and uh, get ready for their final regular season game as well at Northwestern. You're listening to the Oscar Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Back here on the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Dan Hoppen, as uh, we shift over to the Nebraska basketball talk, and the Huskers are uh, getting ready to wrap up this 2015-16 season. Uh, one more regular season game left at Northwestern Sunday, 1 o'clock. Uh, and, and really all that's left now for Nebraska, Robin, is seeding implications and, and where this team will go. And, and the biggest question is, will they avoid that bunny bracket play-in deal? Because you, then you would be in a position where mm-hmm. to win the whole thing, you'd have to win five games in five days. And um, not, let's let's not get that far ahead of ourselves and say that's a possibility. But, um, you know, the road would definitely be difficult if you, if you had to play that extra day. Yeah, there are two schools of thought on that right now with the way things stand. Just because on one end, yes, you have to basically start from the bottom and make it all the way there to, you know, potentially make some – you know, historically significant run to the NCAA tournament. But the other side is, you know, right now they're the 11 seed seeded against uh, number 14 Rutgers, who was maybe one of the worst college basketball teams we've seen in, in some time. So, I mean, there's a chance to get another win. And then the next round you play an Ohio State team who arguably Nebraska should have beaten uh, when the Buckeyes were in Lincoln, you know, a couple weeks ago. So uh, there's, you know, if you're when your worst case scenario, I guess it's not worst case. They could drop as far as you know 12, I think. But uh, if they end up at 11, it's not necessarily the end of the world. Just they'll be, have a pretty good chance to get a win because their route is easier. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, Rutgers, who even knows what they're going to be. But, uh, you know, that's an opportunity to maybe get a, a momentum game, get a win and then play an Ohio State team who is far from unbeatable in the second round. You, talk, you look at uh, what's next, too, Robin. I mean, have you had any discussions with anybody about postseason? I mean, is, do you get the sense for sure Nebraska will pursue the Vegas or the, the CBI, CIT, one of those three? Because, uh, I mean, it's, it's safe to say NIT is probably off the table at this point yeah. uh, based on how it's selected. NCAA makes selections, you know, with the committee, I believe. So mm-hmm. it, it's done very legitimately. Where back in the day, it was more a, a money deal. And they would try to get power five teams in there just for money reasons. But now um, it's much more above board in how they operate. Right. I mean, they would have to make a deep run in the Big Ten tournament right now to be like semifinals. Yes. Yeah. I mean, so chances of that happening are, you know, slim. Uh, So you looked at the next step, you know, obviously CBI, CIT. And then, like you mentioned, the new uh, Vegas 16 tournament, which is just starting up this year are all your next options and uh, you know it's interesting because they i know for sure uh this both the cbi and cit have reached out to nebraska so they want nebraska assuming that they don't completely fall apart and 
make themselves um, selectable. But you have to buy your games. Right. And so, and there's a stigma attached to those games too. You know, I mean, the Big Ten program playing in the CIT. You're that's, paying like 50000 for a game. Is right? it worth it? I mean, obviously they want postseason play for their young team to get that experience. But at the same time, when you're spending that kind of money to do it and you're putting yourself in an opportunity to go potentially on the road to some mid-major and lose, uh, it's, it's a bad deal. And would the arena cooperate? I mean, yeah. sometimes you don't know if yep. the arena is available, and they're they're not making that much money on a CBI, CIT game. So a lot of factors involved there, which uh, makes that Vegas 16 tournament, if that ends up being a possibility. Last I've talked, uh, they had not had any official contact with the Vegas, Vegas. 16. But, I mean, that's a pretty sweet deal. Not only does it just sound cooler, Vegas 16, it's a five-day tournament. You're not going. (laughs) It's a five-day tournament uh, that is played in in successive days. So you're not dragging it out for any, you know, a couple weeks or whatever the other tournament formats are. Uh, You get it done right away. You get postseason experience. And what the kind of hope is for this tournament is to draw Power 5 brand-name schools that, you know, don't make the cut for the NIT that, you know, want uh, a postseason experience that's not going to be kind of a, an embarrassing are there consolation games or is it just no i think it's a single okay. elimination one and that done. might be even better though if you could have consolation games to guarantee some games yeah but so that's that's kind of the issue with that but uh I, we'll see kind of what happens with that i mean obviously this being the first year of that tournament there's no precedent on how they pick teams and kind of what their thought process is going to be but uh, certainly an option. That's that could be on the table for Nebraska. But uh, when all said and done, I mean, right now their focus has to just be at the next game ahead. I mean, go beat Northwestern, get a win, get some you know positive momentum back because uh, where they've won in one of their last six right now, uh, it's been a real rough tail end of this season for the second year in a row. And so they just need something to feel good about. And uh, then you can think about postseason when everything's said and done with that. Getting away from the speculation back to what's actually happened on the court, Robin, Nebraska's really kind of fallen off. There's there's a total different feel around the Mm -hmm. team than there was three or four weeks ago. I think that Siobhan Shields' injury kind of started everything off just based off of what the players, you know, said and their body language the other night, what Tim Miles had to say, what's kind of your take on where this team is right now? Unfortunately, uh, you know, everyone's regressed. I mean, Siobhan Shields was out, but – and has come back, you know, hit the ground running. So he's kind of the exception. But aside from him, everyone's gotten worse, and the numbers are there to back it up. I mean, Andrew White is, you know, a real liability right now with that shoulder injury. I mean, there was an alley-oop play in that Purdue game where, you know, he had thrown it down five or six times before the exact same play this season, and he could barely get his arm above his head, and he missed the play, and it ended up being a turnover. He's shooting 24% in yeah. the last three games. And this is a guy that was your leading scorer at one point. I mean, and shooting you know 40% from the field. So uh, it's really, that's kind of been a big blow to them, especially with Shields out. You know, Glenn Watson has regressed. Um, you know, he's, he's having a real tough time offensively and hasn't been nearly the scoring threat. Uh, that people had hoped he would. And uh, Jack McVeigh, I mean, he's disappeared. He scored two straight games of 16 and 17 points and then played four minutes, didn't even attempt a shot. It's been such a Purdue. roller coaster for that guy. Yeah, and so, you know, it's it's all kind of hitting at the same point and uh, has led to, you know, some of Nebraska's worst performances of the season by far. I mean, you go and score 20 points and a half uh, the, the other day and then, you know, are down 30 to 9 at one point against Purdue. It's, it's really just kind of been a snowball effect that, again, which is why I say the only thing they need to worry about is going out and just playing well 
against Northwestern. Give Siobhan Shields some help. Have Andrew White step up, make some shots. Get Ty Webster involved. You know, I mean, get back to where you were before this slide happened when, you know, there was some talk of Nebraska being a, a serious NIT or maybe even NCAA contender. I'll put you on the spot here as we wrap it up. Give me your prediction for the Northwestern game. You think Nebraska goes into Evanston and wins? It's not a very tough place to play, especially where Northwestern's at right now at this point of the year. Yeah, Northwestern's interesting because they started the year off having, you know, their greatest season in program history, and now, you know, they're probably not even going to make the NIT. So uh, they've fallen off quite a bit as well. The bad news for Nebraska is Northwestern gets their seven-foot center, Alex Ola, back. He was out for the first game in Lincoln. And if you look back at, uh, you know, the last year and the year before, Alex Ola has had his way with Nebraska. Uh, and some of his best games of his career have come against Nebraska. And so you add into the account that uh, Northwestern's Derek Pardon, uh, who was playing just his second collegiate game uh, in that Big Ten opener, ended up dropping 28-12 and 12 against the Huskers and since then he hasn't he scored in double figures twice and he scored 14 points in the whole month of February so what an anomaly that was but anyway long story short it's going to be difficult for Nebraska to go on the road and win but again if they're able to play at the level we've seen them it's not out of the question but right now uh, I think uh, you got to pick against against Nebraska all right Nebraska Northwestern Sunday afternoon 1 p.m. in Evanston Robert Washett will have full coverage as well as Husker spring practice uh, this weekend opening on Saturday so make sure you're on the site for both we'll wrap up the show here with Nate Klaus and some recruiting talk This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and A. Klaus as we close things up like we do every week with recruiting talk and really, um, you know, a couple of different things we want to hit on here um, with Nebraska. The, the first order of business is, is quarterback recruiting. Uh, Nate, Tristan, uh, Christian Jebbia announced he will now be taking his visit to Nebraska this weekend. Is that correct? Yeah, he'll be uh, arriving to Lincoln on Monday. I had originally planned on attending, you know, for the junior day on March 12th, but I moved that visit up on Monday uh, in large part just because it, it provided the best opportunity for he and his entire family to, to visit Lincoln, and uh, which is important because his family has never been to Nebraska before. This will be Tristan's third trip to Lincoln, um, you know, to see everything, to see the coaches and, um, you know, see all the, the facilities and everything. But the first time that uh, his, his parents and his entire family have ever really been on campus. And, um, you know, I think that's kind of important because Monday there's no football practice. It should provide an awful lot of time for, um, you know, one-on-one -on -one time with, uh, with the Jebbias and the entire football staff. You know, it'll be interesting, Nate, uh, just how this quarterback stuff shakes out. It's ultra-competitive when you know teams only have one spot. Uh, we know Jack Cohn will be here for the spring game as well. Um, you know, do you think this is also a thing where, like, hey, they knew that they need to kind of get in front of this thing and be proactive with Nebraska because who knows what could happen with Jack Cohn here if he comes to the spring game? Well, I think that's part of it. And I asked Tristan that, you know, if there was a sense of urgency on his part to try and make a decision because, you know, spots, you know, across the country are kind of filling up. Each quarterback that comes off the board, 
um, you know, makes makes it one less school that oftentimes needs a quarterback. So um, he kind of downplayed that a little bit, but I know for a fact that uh, Tristan Jebbia is well aware of you know the other quarterbacks that Nebraska has recruited, other quarterbacks that are visiting like Jack Cohn, and um, you know I think it, it will be kind of a race maybe to to see who's the first to jump in the boat here, and um, and that could be you know part of the reason why he moved up his visit uh, you know to Monday as well to try and get out ahead of things, and you know he told me he said the one of the reasons why I want to come back to Nebraska uh, sooner than later is to just kind of reiterate my interest in the Huskers. He, he has Nebraska uh, right at the top of his list and, and obviously they've shown him a lot of attention and he kind of wants to reciprocate that and of course you know have his family see everything. So it's going to be interesting to see how things play out you know at that position here over the next month or two. Uh, we'll probably see somebody come off the board. It has the feeling Nate of uh, 2005 when you know Harrison Beck committed but Mark Sanchez and a bunch of other guys were kind of all in position and Beck beat them all to the punch, and we we never knew what would have happened with Mark Sanchez and some of those other guys that were planning to visit Lincoln later that same summer. Um, you, you just wonder if Nebraska got to that point where Jebbia was ready to commit, let's just say in March, um, before the Cone visit, would Nebraska take the commit or would they wait to entertain the Cone visit? Well, I think they obviously like Jack Cohn an awful lot, uh, but they also like Tristan Jebbia. I mean, he's uh, he has a lot uh, that he brings to the table as well. Uh, you can't turn down a commitment from Tristan Jebbia. I mean, he's a top 100 quarterback in the nation, arguably the top quarterback in the state of California, the number four overall rated pro-style quarterback in the country. Um, you know, he, I mean, and plus, and that's even before you get to all the connections that he has with Keyshawn Johnson Jr. and Darnay Holmes and, and about every other big time recruit in the state of California, or at least in the LA area. So, uh, there's, there's no way you can turn down a commitment from Jebby and, and he would be, I mean, it would be a huge get in this class. You're listening here to the Husker Online show as we close the show here, some recruiting talk. Let's move over now to the defensive line, Nate, with the hire of John Perella, Nebraska now has their guy in place he's been very active on social media and, and interacting with recruits in just a week what have you seen Nate on the recruiting trail uh, since John Perella has been hired well I've seen a, a boatload of offers go out to defensive ends defensive tackles I mean, they've been extremely active in evaluating and offering guys all across the country. And it's interesting because some of these guys are highly recruited, highly rated prospects, and, and others are kind of maybe a little bit more under the radar guys. And so that tells me that they're, you know, they're doing their due diligence and the evaluations. And, um, you know, the, the overwhelming sentiment that I've gotten from a lot of the guys that I've spoke with is that John Perella is somebody that captures their interest, that captures their attention right away. I, spoke with Hunter Eccles, um, you know, a four-star defensive end out of L.A. the other night. Um, he just received an offer from Nebraska. He's committed to UCLA, but he said he had a, a terrific conversation with John Perella. And um, just the fact that John Perella, you know, played in the NFL for 12 years automatically grabbed his attention. He said that's, you know, Hunter said that's one of my goals is to get to that level. And if I know that I'm going to be coached um, every day by someone who played in the league for 12 years, I know that my opportunity to eventually get there uh, will be enhanced. So, um, I mean, that's that's something that every kid has really kind of mentioned, and, and they seem to, to hit it off with Perella right off the bat. So, um, you know, obviously this is going to be a storyline that, that continues to develop. That, that need along the defensive line this year, um, you know, is, is – 
is arguably the biggest need in this entire class. They're, they probably need to sign uh, six defensive ends, defensive tackles uh, in total in this class, which is a huge number. So, um, you know, it's interesting to see, but I think that uh, a lot of fans is uh, hand-wringing over, you know, the ability of John Perella uh, to recruit uh, will, will go away here after time moves along. Yeah, I look at this Perella hire, Nate, as something that could really – tip the scales and give Nebraska another needed recruiter uh, because you you know you have Keith Williams and Trent Bray and I, I think Brian Stewart are three kind of special ops recruiters yeah. guys that you can send in and 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 complete the mission you know in so many words um, to make up a bad analogy and you got Kavanaugh who's very specialized with offensive line your coordinators do what they do Bruce Reed does what he does so I, I think it was important to kind of get that fourth guy kind of being a special ops recruiter that can go in and, and do these types of things for Nebraska. And um, Hank Hughes, no knock on him, but he just wasn't that kind of a recruiter. And I think it balances up now with um, having Perella and, and Bray and then obviously um, Brian Stewart and, and, and Keith Williams. Yeah, all those guys that you mentioned, Keith, Keith Williams, uh, Bray, Stewart, um, you know, and even Kavanaugh. I mean, they're charismatic guys. They're, they're characters, and they have personalities to really engage recruits and, uh, you know, begin that relationship-building uh, process. And I think that's kind of what Perella brings to the table. He's, he's relentless. Um, he, he attacks everything with 100% effort. And I don't know if you can necessarily say that as far as recruiting goes with Hank Hughes. I, I don't know um, what his effort level was like. And, and and that's probably why, you know, part of the reason why he was let go. So, um, you know, it was a job to Hank Hughes. To me, it's much more than a job for John. Perella. Exactly. And and that's another thing kids have, have uh, conveyed to me is that uh, he seems to have a passion about the program, has played there. Uh, and they all seem to think that that's that's pretty cool that uh, someone who who played at Nebraska is now coaching at Nebraska. All right, Nate, it should be interesting to follow recruiting in these next few weeks just to see how things shake out uh, with this John Perella hire and obviously uh, the Jebbia visit this week and then Nebraska's junior day the following week. Well, that puts a wrap here on another edition of the Oscar Online Show. Make sure you visit the site all throughout the weekend as we'll have full coverage of Nebraska's first spring practice starting Saturday at 11. Thanks again for joining us this week on HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 